Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we are on part four of four of our division previews, finishing off with the Pacific Division, um, probably the weakest of the four divisions. Um, actually, not even probably, just absolutely uh, the weakest of the four divisions. And so, like, this is going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on because that third, uh, that third wild or third division spot is going to be up for grabs. So um, with that being said, let's get into our normal rankings. Uh, let's start with the bottom feeder teams. I only have two teams in here because I think there's like three or four that are going to be competing for a playoff spot more because of the division than anything else. But how many did you have in this bottom tier, Chase? Yeah, I think there are two distinctly worse than the rest of them. That's kind of where I went to. So who do you have coming in at eight then? Um, I didn't really feel passionately about which one of these two teams is worse, but I just have the Anaheim Ducks as the worst. I have the Sharks as the worst, but we can go with the Ducks first. Yeah, they, you, you could flip these ones either way. I don't think anyone is particularly unreasonable. No, and I could definitely see it breaking um, the reason I had the Ducks a little bit ahead was because of a reason you're even generally higher on than I am, and that's John Gibson maybe being John Gibson or anything close to what we've seen as a peak John Gibson, even though it's been a couple of years now. Um, that at least gives me a little more confidence than James Reimer and Aiden Hill in net for the San Jose Sharks. So um, that's the old, that literally basically the only reason. And I just think that like, it's not like Anaheim has a bunch of great players coming up, but like Trevor Zegras should be playing this year. Um, Drysdale, Jamie Drysdale should be a full season. Maybe you can have like a Sam Steele or Max Jones, Troy Terry. Like those guys are now 23, 24 and probably not going to get much. See so the same with like Maxine Comtois, but like if any of them grow even a little bit, maybe this team is a little bit better. And then obviously Zegras and Drysdale are the two really big ones. Whereas, I don't really think San Jose has players like that coming this year. Yeah, that's more than fair. And especially, so San Jose will be tough with like hurdle and whatnot, because they definitely have more established NHL talent. Um, but there, there's definitely a, at least some upside. Like there are ways in which you can be like, this duck season was a win with Zegras and Drysdale on them. I don't really see how that happens for San Jose. Yeah, like it feels like San Jose's just hit that aging car curve so hard that it's not going to come back. And well, we can focus on that in a second. But you know, with this Anaheim team, we have John Gibson. The the um, retirement of Ryan Miller probably hurts them a little more than people think. And they now have Anthony Stolarz and as a backup. Uh, the defense core: Cam Fowler, Hampus Lindholm, Josh Manson, Kevin Shattenkirk, Jamie Drysdale, Jacob Larson, Cody Curran. Like at least there's like. A potential for that to be an okay top four you know like if dry it, it kind of all revolves around drysdale taking a big step forward and maybe lindholm going back to what we saw as like 24 year old lindholm but it's like not the most unrealistic thing to say like if i told you this decor ended up being like the 13th best in the league this year but it's not that unreasonable given the the personnel they have no especially because lindholm was like decent last year too and then Drysdale would need to take a step. And, like, Lindholm hasn't been amazing like he used to be, but he's still just kind of solid uh, hanging around back there. So I could definitely buy into the Ducks decor. It's definitely their relative strength, barring a John Gibson breakout. Yeah, and now the one thing that could go backwards for that is Josh Manson's 29, Hampus Lindholm's 27, and they're both UFAs this year. So 
I doubt I season there. Yeah, definitely. I would be shocked if Manson does. Lindholm, maybe I could see them convincing, maybe, but like they have, I don't know. Like they have on the right side, they have uh, Drysdale and they have Shattenkirk for another year. So I think they probably move on from Manson. On the left side, they have Cam Fowler and then Jacob Larson and Cody Curran, who are 24 and 31. So it doesn't feel like they're absolutely locked on the left side, but they also have some younger guys in, in the system as well. So, um, yeah, I think if that's the one thing you're looking at is there is a good chance that some of these guys get moved. Then, you know, you look up front, Adam Henrique, Jacob Silverberg. Uh, it feels like a given that Ricard Raquel is going to be moved, even though he probably should have been moved a couple of years ago when he still had peak value, despite like his numbers have not been good over the past couple of years. So at least his like play driving numbers, they have fallen off an absolute cliff. Yeah, it seems like they really missed the bag because for like they've just fizzled out. They've been just perfectly forgettable, but they could have cashed out on the Manson Raquel Lindholm trio not that long ago. Yeah, like, I like, think even heading into last year, Raquel had a ton of value. And I think it it I think that like someone will still pay quite like I, I would not shock me if Ricardo Raquel was for a first round pick at this deadline. I don't think he should, yeah. but like I think he will, but like yeah, they, like I think even heading into last year, especially two years ago, you probably could have got a pick, like a first and a good prospect for Ricard Raquel. Oh, absolutely. And some team would have went nuts for Manson as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it definitely feels like they kind of it, – it, it's weird too because they kind of missed their like thing to sell high, and there was no reason for them not to sell high because the team still sucked ass. And they weren't even like close to being competitive either. Like, no. they weren't even, like, a team that could pretend they might be good. Like, say what you want, but at least Nashville made the playoffs last year. Yeah, what they did was still stupid, but they got – like, you can at least see why they did it yeah. with, like, Soros being hot. And yeah, they actually made the playoffs. With Anaheim, they haven't been close in a really long time. They just no, kind it's of like 2017? Is that the last time they made it? I think so. And they've just sat there doing nothing since, not even becoming close, just – yeah, it's, it, I don't know. It really, this feels like a team that um, they really need to start. Like, they need Zegris and Drysdale to be really good players if they want to start bouncing back because they, they really wait. And I think we've talked about this on this podcast before, but they wasted just like an entire era of picks. It really felt like, like that uh, Max Comtois, uh, Sam Steele, Max Jones, Troy Terry. They're not all bad players, but like, it feels like all of them had significant more hype than what they've actually turned out to be as players so far. Yeah. They seem really disappointing because there was a time where people said they have like the best prospect pool in the league. And now it depends on how you weigh like young people versus quote unquote prospects, but that is absolutely not the case anymore or even yeah, close to it. Really. No, I don't even think they have a top five. And like just, and obviously I'm not a huge prospect guy, but just from what I've read, it doesn't seem like they're anywhere really close to that. So, no, it's like Mason McTavish is real good, but <laughs> if that's all you've got for a team that's been bad for this long, like Zegras and uh, Drysdale, better be ready to show out. Yes, one hundred percent. So, um, all right, let's go on to the second worst team or worst team. You had the worst. I had the or I had the worst. You had the second worst. San Jose Sharks. Uh, Again, the goaltending is kind of a reason I had them a little bit below the Ducks. And also just, like, we got to get into this Evander Kane stuff. Like, what are the odds he yeah. actually plays this year? 
he's almost certainly not playing. You have to assume, right? Like every day it feels like, or every week it feels like something new and horrible comes out about Evander Kane. Yeah. Like he had an interview with, I think it was ESPN a couple of weeks ago where he flat out denied, obviously the, um, um, allegations that he was betting on any kind of game, which I, I do understand. Like the idea that he would throw, especially I think the allegation was that he was, uh, betting against the team and it's like Evander Kane had a career year last year. So it's, I don't think he was uh, throwing games or anything like that. Yeah. And also like, if if you knew Evander Kane was going to be out for a Sharks game, that's not going to move a betting line that much, if at all. Correct. No. And that's the thing, right? It's like, I can't remember what podcast I was listening to, but they're going more in detail with this where it's like, in any sport, it's so hard. Like hockey, the only person who could really make a tangible impact would be a goalie. Yeah, and even like that, it's so tricycle. Yeah, but even like McDavid not trying for a game shifts the line. What four percent, five percent? Yeah, probably something like that. It's not going to be absurd. Like you can make plus EV bets against yourself, your McDavid, but yeah, God, that but would like, not be an easy way to make a living. It's not like a quarterback or whatever in another sport where it's like he could just airmail the ball or throw like four interceptions with ease, right? Yeah, or like a soccer goalie or something. Yeah, or like, you know, any basketball player would make much more of a difference, right? Like if LeBron James was betting against himself, that would be probably more noticeable too, too. But like, yeah, if he's not going near as hard, like that would have much more of a swing than a Vander Kane. Yeah. So, um yeah, but then, like, it even comes out that, like, there was teammates that didn't really want him returning. And uh, Elliot Friedman had something just yesterday about how the NHL is now investigating Vander Kane for possible league COVID protocol violation. So, I just, I, like, I don't know. It just it feels like less and less that he's actually going to come back to this team. But, like, usually the fix to this is he gets traded somewhere else. Is someone going to take that contract? Like, it's the NHL, maybe. He did have a career year, but he's got four more years at seven mil. All this off by stuff, but he's already 30 years old. Yeah, given that the NHL is uh, broke, or like most of the teams are broke, that Evander Kane contract cannot be easy to move. Because it's not like this is a guy who was like beloved by the league to begin with. No, he's had issues where everywhere he's gone, it's followed him, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so, like, that's one of the big things that's already just kind of hovering over this team. And then, um, you know, we talked about the Ducks, you know, trading people away. Like, I just – it kind of sounded like Thomas Hurdle coming a couple weeks ago mentioned that he's not really sure he wants to be in San Jose long-term if they're entering a rebuild here. And can you blame him? He's 27 you know, and he, he probably is going to look to win and get paid, and they don't really have the cap space to pay him a massive raise. Um, and you're definitely not winning here anytime soon. So, like, I think it's more likely than not that Thomas Hurdle gets moved, and it's not a guarantee that Timo, someone like Timo Meyer is not even on the on the table. You know what I mean? Yeah, it really feels like they're going to strip it, going to have to strip it down at some point. It's just a question of whether they're smart enough to do it now rather than later with like the, the Kevin LeBlancs and Timo Myers of the world. Will they still have like a lot of value? Yeah. And I'm like, like what I'm curious about too, is like, 
So usually I'd say there's value to keeping a team of minor and, and I'm not totally against that, but some part of that is because then it's like, okay, yeah. Like by the time you get good again, he might be a little overpaid if you have to pay him for his years 27 to 34 or whatever, but it's like, you can get that veteran leadership. They're still going to have to deal with at least a couple of Eric Carlson, Brent Burns, Mark Edward Vlasic, Logan Couture. Like those contracts are still going to be up when they're trying to be good again. And like, I could see a couple of them getting long-term IR, not all four of them though. Plus, like, yeah, like they're not going to have $45 million on LTIR or whatever that is. Some of those guys are going to be playing. Yeah. So it's like at that point, then it's like, okay, well then you can't really afford to overpay a team of Meyer because you're already way overpaying for like Brent Burns and Logan Couture. Yeah, exactly. So if you like, you can't even make that argument about people who've been there, done that because it just has to be someone who's under contract already. Yeah. And it does look like they kind of realize that they're going to be very bad for the next couple of years because they signed both James Ryder, Reimer and Aiden Hill to two-year deals. Uh, and obviously Aiden Hill's 25, so I think they maybe do see him as a potential like option to at least start going forward for a little bit. But, you know, James Reimer is obviously 33. He's going to be a backup to Aiden Hill this year. But I could see them next year. They have, you know, James Reimer and Aiden Hill are going to be UFAs. If neither of those guys work out, they'll be on the block. Uh, Nick Benino is going to be a UFA next year. Uh, or sorry, no, he's got two more years. Uh, Thomas Hurdle is this year. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Benino will be up after the year after like Timo Meyer will be up next year too. So we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but I could definitely see next year be the year where they really hit that reset button and get rid of a lot of this, uh, fringes or, you know, the, not quite the, the big four or five names, but the rest of this core, if you want to call it. Yeah. Like start to bottom out around these guys. Because yeah, I don't think they're going to be able to do anything about any of these dudes. No, like I would just be like, who, no one's taking on Eric Carlson's contract. And I, I think it's people don't realize how bad Mark Edward Vlasic is, but like no one's taking him on for five years at seven mil at 34 years old. No, exactly. This pains me to say, because I did love the guy, but that Carlson contract might be the worst in the league. Yeah, it's, gotta, it's him or Drew Doughty. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be whoever goes longer out of those two is probably the worst contract in the league. And off the top of my head, I have no idea which ones goes longer. Actually, maybe Bobrovsky too, but. Oh, true. Yeah, Bob is also up there. There's just yeah. so much money for so, like, what a horrible situation. Oh, it's just so ugly, you know? It's like they have, and I can't, like, the blue line is what I can never get over. They have 20... Six million dollars, just twenty-six and a half million dollars tied up in Carlson, Burns, and Vlasic, whose ages currently are 31, 36, 34. The lowest of those contracts is Burn with the four more years, so it takes him till he's 40. Vlasic takes his till he's 39, and Carlson takes his till he is 37. My favorite is that like teams like this in Chicago exist, and that every time a 32-year-old signs an eight-year deal. There's always pushback from those people who like try to walk the line between like stats guy and uh, woke eye test dude who are like, well, you stats guys just hate every over 30 contract. And it's like, yeah, yeah, there's a reason for that. Like this team is pathetic at this point. <laughs> it's like, yeah, point how many over 30 contracts actually panned out. Like Ovechkin, Crosby, Malkin, Thornton. Yep. Bergeron. 
Bergeron. There's a very common theme here. It is the absolute elite of the elite. Yeah, like five of probably the ten best players of a generation. Yeah, like... And even, and like, Carlson's in that list. His absolutely did not come close. P.K. Subban's another one that was a disaster. Now, again, that, that kind of turned bad to injuries, but, like, you know... Well, like, like, him, I, Dowdy, and uh, Carlson were definitely the three sort of generational defensemen for a little bit, or they looked like mm-hmm. it. Yeah, Those like, all just look horrible. Even just, like, like, Shea Weber is probably one that people would say is good, and that one even, like is only not horrible because he's on LTIR now. Like, Yeah, like he has five years left and his career might be over. Well, I would qualify that as a bad, bad uh, bounce. Yeah, but like I, I guarantee, like if you're going for contracts that lived up to the hype when guys were over 34 years old, like his would still be in like the top 15. Oh, absolutely. Because you know, it's just I, a wasteland for the most part. Yeah, like, and then the other name, I guess, and we'll get to, obviously, we'll get to talk about him later, but Mark Jarrett Donald's another one that comes to mind. But again, he's such a unicorn, just what his, the, like, his career was. Ever. Yeah. But yeah, the worst part about this San Jose season is, like, say the Ducks and the uh, Sharks both come fifth and sixth last. That could be spun as a success so easily if Drysdale puts up 60 or, uh, you know, 30 or 40 points and looks decent. And then Seagrass puts up like 60 points or whatever. There's almost no scenario in which this season looks like a success for the Sharks. I guess if they squeak into the playoffs, like Doug Wilson could sell that to ownership as a pretty big success, but long-term it does not like getting destroyed by Vegas in round one does nothing for these guys. Yeah. And just like, like they just, uh, they don't really have any prospects that are ready to come up right now either, or like soon. Yeah, like Ackland winning SHL forward of the year is like the most realistic thing that could go, or crushing a Thomas Hurdle trade, I guess. Are yeah. the two most realistic things they can do well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like we, we just talked about this team for like 10 minutes and we barely talked about this season. So, that's probably all you need to know about where the state of this team is. Yeah, because they are not going to be a fun team to watch this season. No, they are going to be very bad. So, um, yeah, that's, I think that would be, I'd be shocked if they're not a pretty clear seven and eight. Like they're very much so just the most devoid of talent um, in this division and league, basically. I, I think these will be two teams that obviously Arizona and Buffalo are leading the pack there, but this, these teams will be in there with the, you know, the Detroits. You know, I'll, I'll throw Ottawa on that group, unfortunately. And, um, you know, they're, they're going to be, yeah, like they're going to be right at the bottom. So, um, let's go to a team that looks like they're about to start a rebuild here. It'll be interesting to see. Well, actually, sorry, no. Well, I, I think this is where we'll go next, but I should say we're moving um, tiers here to the – I think this is kind of like the wild card or bubble tier where it's like outside the playoffs, but like if some things go right, they maybe could make it. I have four teams in this tier. I have three. I think I know which team we're different on. I think all – I think this will make sense, but uh, who do you have at the bottom of the tier? I have the Calgary Flames. Okay. And so I have Calgary pretty high up. So I think they're better than all the teams in this tier. I think if they kept everyone, they might be. 
Yeah. But I don't see a scenario where they keep Johnny Goudreau. So if they keep Johnny Goudreau, all bets are off. Yes, I think that they at least are. Sorry, if they sell Johnny Goudreau. Everything that I will say about this team is out the window. Yeah, and I think with Johnny Goudreau, you can make it. I think, honestly, all four, like the four teams I have in this division could be anywhere from like second in this division to honestly, if they were competing with the Ducks and Sharks, it would not shock me if like two things went wrong. Yeah, and none of these teams are deep enough that they can afford to have things go wrong and not be right in that San Jose Anaheim tier. Yeah, so the biggest concern for me with Calgary is, A, I'm banking, like, it just kind of seems like they're destined for a rebuild. They have, the way they filled up their bottom six is just all cheap UFAs that it kind of feels like they're going to be selling on this year. Like, Tyler Pitt, like, Brad Ritchie, Trevor Lewis, Brad Richardson, Byron Fraze. Like, it's just like, five or six guys that's like this doesn't seem like they're going to be in your long-term plans um Nikita Zadorov and Erica Branson on the back end kind of thing um and then yeah Johnny Goudreau but uh the defense course here's the shit out of me dude like decor is going to be bad they lost Giordano which was like they're only really good, like definitively really good. I mean, Chris Tanov was really good last year too, but I don't think I would project that going forward. And they went, yeah, we'll get Nikita Zadorov and Eric Branson to replace him. That'll be good. Yeah, that, that part's going to suck. The decor is going to be bad. But on the bright side, this is a 53% XG team last year that got horrific goaltending. And given what we know about Jacob Markstrom, him being back, could make up for all of that very easily. I, I do think that is the one thing that's going to be, yeah, that, that's the one thing where when I'm looking at this team and especially compared to what they had last year or where they were last year, I could see, you know, an, an increase in the standings, even if they don't play as well, just because Markstrom, even if he's not what he was two years ago, I don't think he is what he was last year either, right? Like, Exactly. That's the most realistic way for them to bounce back. And I think betting on Jacob Markstrom's to, to bounce back is a safe enough uh, bet. Yeah. I don't think it's an unreasonable, even if it's like to the 15th best starter or whatever. Um, yeah. Up front, like, I don't know this team, the Blake Coleman ad will help them definitely this year. It's a lot of money and a lot of turn. We talked about it when it was signed that this is going to be a disaster contract in a couple of years. But I mean, for this season, like, Matthew Kachuk, I, I think maybe if you hold, like Matthew Kachuk didn't have a great year last year either, at least by a point stand uh, standpoint. So, you know, maybe you can hope that he bounces back a little bit too. And then if you do keep Goudreau, you go Kachuk, Goudreau, Monahan, and then Coleman, Lindholm, Mangia Payne, and then like Dylan Dubé, Brett, Richie, Milan, Lucic, or ba- Backlund's got to be in there somewhere. Like it's fine. It's just not completely inspiring considering how bad the blue line is yeah given how bad the blue line is it'll be tough but the Linhol or the coleman contracts a terrible deal but they should have a legit top six this year it won't be like amazing but it deployed properly should be pretty good yeah i hope so my biggest fear though even in this division too is just like the Knights don't really have centermen, but like the Oilers have obviously a killer one-two punch at center. The Canucks don't have a bad one-two punch. Um, the Kings don't actually have a bad one-two punch now. We'll get to them, obviously. 
how much do you trust Sean Monahan? Like Dylan Dubé taking, he's a winger too. So like Lindholm and Monahan and Backlund are your three C's, your top three C's. And it's like, it's probably Monahan and Backlund, I would assume. Yeah. I like would how, how much do you trust that? Or like, do you think it won't be a problem because Goudreau, Kachuk, and like Coleman will, and Mangiapane will be good enough to kind of cover that up? I think hopefully the, they're going to hope the wingers are enough. Tchuk was still drove play really, really well last year. Um, Goudreau wasn't was actually still pretty decent last year. Backlund's still kind of doing his thing, just driving play quietly, not putting up much points. Um, I guess it depends on how much Coleman helps from the wings too. I don't know. This the centers aren't great, but the wings are, or they're, yeah. they're quite good. At least. I kind of want to play Coleman. I'm going to be curious to see how they use him this year. Because, like, I think there's an argument you could try and put him on a third line so he doesn't have to do more than what he was in Tampa. You know, I mean, obviously, he's going to have to do more. This team's not as good as Tampa. But, like, limit how much more he has to do, and that's how you get the value out of him. Yeah, that's probably not the worst idea. Like, I guess you could give him the Hyman treatment with, like, Goudreau and Monaghan too because they need to help more than like the Leafs top guys or the Oilers top guys. I don't know. What do you think they actually do with them? If I had to guess, I think they'll put him in the top six and probably on that first line because they paid him so much money. Yeah, that seems like the most likely outcome. And I think that that would be I don't, think I don't know if a bad the thing to him, but Yeah, I think he'll okay. do well there. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends who he's playing with, right? Like, if he's playing – like, I'm assuming because he can play left or right, so I'm assuming he's guaranteed yeah. to be playing with one of Kachuk or Goudreau, and, like, there's worse ways you could deploy him. Yeah, exactly. I assume you split him and uh, Tachuk up as sort of like a cookie cutter. There are power forwards and, like, puck retrieval guys for each of the top two lines. I hope they give uh, Mangia Payne some more ice time this year. Yeah, that would be nice to see. He's their was, only player with real upside, uh, like relative to what we've uh, seen. Like, obviously, Gaudreau has upside, but we've seen him be like a 90-point player. Mangia Payne's the only player on this entire team with the potential for us to be like, wow, that was this guy came out of nowhere. Yeah, because like... Of course, Dylan Dubé's been forever. Dylan Dubé's been brutal, at least play driving wise, the past couple of years. Not brutal, yeah. but just not good. I wouldn't want to bet on him being good, but like, but Mangiapane, given how good he is at driving play, getting an on ice shooting percentage heater, could put up like really good five on five point totals. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I hope he's a staple in top six, where it's like you go Goudreau. Coleman, Monahan, and then Kachuk, Mangia Payne, Backlund, I guess. Yeah, I think that would be that would be how I would do. And then a I third think. line of Lucic, Lindholm. I'd say Dubé, but Dubé's so bad in his own end. <laughs> he is really bad in his own end. They like Dubé though, if I remember correctly. Yeah, well, because he was their young guy who was supposed to make the big difference, and he just never really broke out into that. And, like, hasn't even been that close. No. And, like, I think they – it does kind of seem like both sides kind of know that because he signed a three years at 2.3 right now. Yeah. So it's just kind of like a safety net. 
like the yeah. uh what's his name who else was the young guy who was super just god what's his name he was a god in florida bennett it reminds me of the oh, bennett yeah. contract yes yeah and i would say oh yeah it'll be interesting to see because they, they traded sam bennett obviously and then bennett uh immediately went to be a god in florida so it'll be interesting to see where he goes from there but yeah i don't know like i i think this flames team definitely has one of the higher ranges out of all the teams like they have a super high ceiling well that's super but like comparative to the other teams that i at least have in this kind of tier they have a much higher ceiling but also like the floor could be pretty low with this team if some stuff doesn't go right yeah, the floor is really bad. I think if every team plays their best and ices the roster that we're looking at right now, they're the third best team in this division. But like I said, if they trade Kudrow, all bets are off. And there is a really – I don't know what the exact odds would be, but there's a pretty good chance kudrow has gone. Yeah, just given how much they talked about it. And also just like, like what is the long-term plan for this team? I have no idea. Also, they sat, they signed Daryl Sutter to coach, who seems like the perfect guy to get like a 52% XG and Corsi out of a roster that doesn't deserve it. But that screams to me like they really want to come just 15th and scrape into the playoffs and get killed as well. Yeah, which doesn't make much sense to me. But anyways, I yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely think they uh, have potential. Like if they end up near the playoffs or in the playoffs, I wouldn't be shocked. But I don't love this team at all. That's for sure. I hate this team. I just think the rest of the division's worse. So who did you have at the bottom of this uh, second tier? I had uh, Vancouver. See, okay, so I have Vancouver at the top of this, mainly because I'm banking on a Pedersen bounce-back season. That would be huge. But, like, Vancouver's got a worse decor than Calgary, and Calgary is horrible. I don't think Vancouver's is all that much worse, but yeah, it's not, uh, it's not good. That's for sure. It's, it's gross. It is disgustingly bad. I think the biggest thing that I'm re- the, the reason I'm higher on a team like maybe Vancouver in terms of definitely over just like an average is because the two players you need bounce back seasons from are Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen, which we've a already seen them be good and B they're still way young enough that I believe that is in range yeah whereas like only Cal- calgary only really having nanjia pain with upside if nothing else there's a lot of upside on this canucks team yeah and even just like like i don't think neil hoglander will be like a point per game guy or anything but like neil's hoglander just taking another step and being a fine second line player would help and i really i really like connor garland i'm in, intrigued to see how they use him this year like i think Vancouver's forward core is sneaky good. And obviously this is under the uh, expectation that Pedersen and Hughes both get signed. Yeah, that's the other problem with Vancouver. That's uncertain. It would be really surprising if either of them obviously missed the season or whatever, but it wouldn't be unprecedented if one of them misses a month or two. Yeah, a couple of weeks maybe. But like the problem with that is that the longer it goes, the long, the bigger their cap hit is this year, and they can't afford that. <laughs> that's true, too. Something so, that I've always this has been like this gets like talked about every now and then on stats Twitter where that's like is there a non-linearity with war where like 
we generally think of forwards as a lot more valuable. But is there a line at which your defense core is so bad it's enough to sewer the team? Like the forwards just can't do anything? Vancouver might be able to test that if Hughes misses time. Yeah, and the other thing I think part of that um, buys into as well, like with such a bad defense core, like there's only so much your goalie can do then too, right? Like, Yeah. And this is the other thing why I'm like, I'm a little maybe higher on, you know, we talked about a Markstrom bounce back, which I think is fair. I'm higher on Demko than maybe you. Like, I think, I don't think he's going to be like a stud top five guaranteed goalie or anything like that. Um, You know, that contract definitely, I think when it was signed, we both mentioned that it does have some risk because, you know, he's only played 72 NHL games, which seems kind of crazy given, you know, what we've seen. Don't like forever. Yeah, no kidding. And like, what's wild is he's played a, not, um, four playoff games with a 985, which is just absolutely insane that they didn't even win that series. Um, but uh, yeah, like, I, and I think banking on Yaroslav Halak to even if Demko can't be that stud number one, like Halak was garbage last year. And, you know, he is at the age where you have to accept that maybe that is what he is, but he was like an elite level backup for like five years prior to that. I would buy into the fact that, you know, Halak just had a down year last year and he's not the worst goalie or bottom six goalie in the league or whatever it was last year. Yeah, that's true. And there's downside risk because he's 36 years old, but Halak has been really good for a really long time. So I actually do really like that bet as a, as a backup goalie. Yeah. Like he's not going to step in. He's definitely, I think at the age now, like, you know, a couple of years ago, I think we talked about all the time where Boston was in such a great spot where when Tuka Rask went down, Halak was a starter level goaltender. Like I call him elite backup, but like he could play 43, 45, 50 games if you really needed him to. It just wasn't quite as ideal, especially when you have Tuka Rask as your first option. I don't think he's that anymore, but if they need 30 games out of him, I think he could give you 30 really solid games as a backup. Yeah, he seems like one of the better guys to do that in the league, at least. Again, given his age, there's always something to be scared about. But at some point, you just have to go, well, they're goalies and bet on the guys with a good track record. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think the, the reason I'm higher on this team just in general is I really do like their forward core. Um, Brock Besser, Bull Horvat. Uh, so, you know, obviously I said that Pedersen Horvat will be the one-two down the middle. On the wings, they got, I think JT Miller might be a guy to look to bounce back a little bit this year, too. Uh, he had a down year, all things considered, I think, last year. Um, I don't think he'll be – it's another thing where it's like, I don't know – you know, he still put up 46 points in 53 games last year. He put, he put it on at the end of the season. He started horrendously. Um, I don't think he'll be a point-per-game player like he was two years ago, but if he can replicate what he did last year where he's like a 65-point guy, like considering he's not even the most excited winger, like – on this team, that's a pretty good thing, right? So I think their top six is going to be really solid. And then, you know, I don't even know if Connor Garland cracks the top six, but you got Connor Garland, Jason Dickinson, I thought was a really sneaky pickup, Niels Hoglander. Like they have, I think they're going to be able to ice a really, really good top nine. And that is going to have to carry them a long way because this defense core is just horrendous. It's brutal. Like I hate Calgary's defense core. But at least you can like talk yourself into a couple of them being able to move the puck. This is going to be the Quinn Hughes show, and Quinn Hughes was not that good last year. Yeah, they really need Quinn Hughes to be two years ago Quinn Hughes and not last year Quinn Hughes. 
yeah, for this team to be as good as they think they are, they need Quinn Hughes to be prime Nick Lindstrom. And I don't think that would actually be enough. Yeah, like this team is, even if they make the playoffs, again, this is another team where I think they just get absolutely destroyed by whoever they play. Even if it's the like Oilers, I think they would get destroyed. Yep, this seems bad. And that's kind of like how I feel about every other, like literally I have four teams in this tier. One of them, that means has to make the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. One of these teams is going to make it and not deserve it at all. Yeah, like I hate all four of them. And I don't even love the second place team that much. No, I don't think Edmonton's great either. (laughs) We'll get into them obviously soon too. But yeah, like I I just, I don't know. So we have the Canucks and Flames flipped. I I really don't feel passionate about Like I, I literally think if these four teams, the four teams I have right here, if they came down to within like five points of each other or whatever, would not even be the slightest bit shocked. No, not at all. That's, that's I really like Garland up front. I, you're right about their forwards, so they are good. The thing I'm I'm kind of sticking with priors here for the these two teams flipped. There was a 32 goal difference in these two teams' goal differential last year, and the Flames were considered disappointing, like aggressively. Yeah, I think not the lot to the, make up. The Canucks also got hammered with that COVID at the end of the year, though, too. Like. Yeah, they were true. icing like an AHL team for like three weeks down the year to get out yeah. of it. Which sucks. But like 32 goals to make up when you had the goaltending advantage in that 32 goals is going to be difficult. Yeah, I think that, that's definitely fair. Um, Honestly, yeah, surprisingly enough. Or who do you have second? I'll say it when we get to them about who betting markets have as the best, or who DraftKings at least has as the best team in this division of the the murky middle here. I have the Kraken second and the Kings third, and that I I put K down and couldn't decide which one to go with. Okay, so I had those two teams flipped as well. But uh, guess who DraftKings has as the best out of this? The Kings? It's the Kraken, then Flames, then Canucks, huh. then Sharks, equally as bad as the Kings. I think people are sleeping on the Kings a little bit here. Yeah, I don't I think. Agree. Let's give them the. Well, yeah, let's do the Kings then. So I, yeah, I had them. Um, I guess what two, four, <laughs> fifth in this division. Um, second, third in this tier, uh, and like. Again, like I could have, if, if someone wanted to argue they're the third place team in this division, I probably would be like, okay. But yeah, like I, I don't think this team is near as bad as a team like San Jose. And the other thing, and this is twofold. One, they have the same veterans that San, like Anze Kopitar, yes, he's overpaid, but it's not like he's absolute shit or anything like that. Like he's not worth $10 million anymore. And he's not the uh, top, like, what he peak at like top three, top five center, but like even last year, he was just fine at five on five, kind of controlled play out there. Like it wasn't like he was horrible by any means. Yeah, he was like the perfect guy. He was like the Ryan McDonough of forwards, except he was his team's best player. So it's not very like impressive. Yeah. But like he just but like, like comfortably did well enough, nothing insane, but like he did it like, taking tough assignments and stuff. So there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, and then, you know, so if you want to say, like, the Sharks have, like, Couture or whatever, it's like, well, I'd rather Kopitar than Couture at this point, I think. 
At least, at, well, at I the like very their, least it's a wash. I like their established talent, especially with the Deneau signing a lot more than the Sharks. I'm just saying, and, and that's the thing. So then you have, uh, if you want to go to the, we'll skip the young guys for a second, you have what they brought in this offseason. They brought in Phil Deneau and Victor Arvidsson, which are two, like, actually good players. Like, Phil Deneau is a legitimate 1C. I know people don't really, it's like the 1C in terms of, like, yeah, he's probably not going to win you a cup 1C, but, hey, he was the 1C for a team that went to the finals this year, and obviously there's luck and stuff behind that, but, like, he is a very, very good centerman. Um, and the fact that he might not even be playing like him and Kopitar now being a one, two, and then probably, you know, th- that allows someone like Quentin Byfield to be like a third or fourth centerman. Like that just helps so much. So I, I love their established talent, what they brought in into no Victor Arvidsson. Um, you know, I, I don't think Edler has a ton to give this year um, on, on the back end, but like they definitely made their forward core better. And then they have the young, like they have young pieces that might be getting better too. Like, um, Gabe Velarde, obviously he's 22. So you ask how much he can grow, but he lost so much time to injury that like, would it shock you if he takes another step forward? Like I, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing to me. And then they have Alex Turcotte, Arthur Kaliev, Quinton Byfield. Like they just have so many names in their prospect system that could come up and make a legit difference this year that I think it's insane to say that they're anywhere close to as bad as, uh, the Sharks. Yeah, I would much prefer this roster to the Sharks even this year. Um, the one thing, they're going to be really reliant on those young guys to score. Like the NHL roster as is, is going to have to win a bunch of games, negative one to zero. But there's so many of those young guys that like one of them should do well or like two of them should be able to score or whatever. Yeah, like at the very least, if it's like if Arthur Kalia turns into like a third line score or whatever, it's like, okay, well, that helps this team quite a bit, right? Like, yeah, like if he can just pot 20 and then Byfield could put up like 40 points as the 3C and getting like second power play usage or whatever. Yeah. And, and so, and then like in net, like they just they signed Cal Pedersen to a three year extension, a three year extension, five mil per. Um, he's been like the goalie of the future for like five years, it feels like. Um, like it's fine, I guess. He, he's only played 54 games too, which is kind of crazy. Um, I don't like whatever it, it felt like a lot of money, but at the same time, like it's three years, so go for it, I guess. But like, I would rather Cal Patterson probably than 34 year old James Reimer, yeah, absolutely. So and it'll just be dependent on how many starts they give quick, I think, with a Five mil AAV, I think that really signifies that Pedersen is going to be the guy going forward here. Yeah, I would think so. And, like, he got more starts than quick last year. But teams do love their established old goalies. Yeah, yeah. Pedersen started 35 games last year. So, like, if that's a full season, that's probably – that's closer to, like, 48, right? So, um, I would assume he's a starter this year. And, like, again, like, even compared – maybe it's not fair to compare Pedersen to Reimer – even comparing him to Aiden Hill, uh, Pedersen played 35 games, had a 5.61 goal save above average, 4.88 goal save above expected. Uh, Aiden Hill played 19 games, 3.31 goal save above average, negative 0.11 goal save above expected. So, like, I would just rather Calvin Pedersen. Like, they're just better than the Sharks at all areas. And, again, like, I don't love this team or anything like that, but I definitely think that, you know, like, if this team wins a bunch of close games, gets some puck luck and wins some close games, 
they could easily be the third best team in this division. I cannot say that about a team like San Jose. No. And again, there's so much young guys with upside that like, you know, one or two of them are likely to be, one of them will probably be good. One of them will probably be decent. I doubt you'll hear the names of any of the others unless you're a Kings fan, but like there's genuine upside. If like three of these guys, just if they get lucky and three of them hit at the same time. And some like elite upside too, with like someone like Quentin Byfield. Actually Byfield. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that's the thing where it's like, yeah, like Calia, maybe his upside is like Turcotte is upside, maybe a first line center. Who knows like how good, but like, maybe say Calio's upside is like the 50th best winger in the league or whatever. And, you know, so he doesn't hit with the Quinn Byfield, like coming out of the draft, there was like talk of him being like a legitimate stud number one. Exactly. Like there are worlds in which Byfield comes out of nowhere, puts up 60 points and then say Kupari and Turcotte each put up like 50 and you're like, wow, this looks a lot better. There is no such world or ceiling like that for San Jose or Anaheim. Yeah, exactly. I, I totally agree. So um, honestly, yeah, no. Calgary, <laughs> yeah. or maybe Vancouver either, because like Vancouver's guys with ceiling have all played in the NHL at this point. Yeah, like this team has definitely got like the highest, just like absolute upside in terms of all the rookies that they have. That's for sure. Yeah, they're maybe 90. like a, one of them in the league too. Like, there's like they they have a top two, top three prospect pool for a reason. Exactly, like the the 99th percentile outcome, which almost certainly, obviously, will not happen. But it's actually really good for these guys, unlike very many teams. Now their mm-hmm. decor is still probably going to suck, even if a lot of things go well. It's but bad. Forward, and they're going to play Trudelli a lot, which doesn't help. But yeah, but good forwards can get you a long way in the worst division in the league by a mile. Yes, exactly. And like, there, there's some names that it's like are whatever on this decor. Like, holy Matter, Alex Edler, Matt Roy, Sean Walker. It's like, at least there's a couple names where it's like they're not like actively just horrible, horrible, but they're not good either. Even Dowdy was just fine last year. It's just that he's overpaid to high yeah. out. Like, if Dowdy was making $2 million last year, people would talk about him the way they're probably going to talk about Ryan Suter after the end of this season. Yes, that, that's, a, that's a very good point. Um, yeah, so I, I had the Kings third in this kind of tier fifth overall, but I literally was a coin flip between them and the Kraken. And again, like so close to the other teams where it's like, I really do like what this team did this offseason in terms of improving. I, I think this is the year where they definitely get out of the basement. Yeah, where they start to turn it around. It looks like there's light at the end of the tunnel, finally, at least. Yeah. Um, so then this is, I had the Kraken second in this tier, fourth overall, you had the fifth. Um, my biggest concern is who the hell is going to score goals on this team? Yeah, they also look primed to win a bunch of games. Um, zero and to like, next one. The problem with them is like, like we just outlined how LA scores goals. Like, well, you have the young guys who you don't know what they are and are known to be guys who could score goals. This team doesn't have that at all. Like it's like Jordan Everly, Jaden Schwartz, and then Yanni Gord once he comes back, and maybe Jared McCann. But like, this is another thing too, and this is kind of going a little off track. But the Jared McCann discourse this offseason has been kind of wild. Yeah, like for McCann to be a one C for these guys, they need a twenty-five year old who just had a career season and a ridiculous on ice shooting percentage to get better. 
Yeah, well, that and the online shooting percentage is the big thing. Like, I'm all here for dunking on Toronto. I love love to see it, love to do it. And like, honestly, like it still was the wrong mistake to protect Justin Hall over Jared McCann. But at the same time, people are like, Jared McCann is going to absolutely dominate in an expanded role in Seattle. It's like this dude had 32 points in 43 games with a massive online shooting percentage last year. It's like, how much better do we think that's going to get? Yeah, people are like, oh, he's their William Carlson. It's like he scored at a 30, not a 40 goal pace with like the highest on ice shooting percentage among NHL regulars in the entire league. Like, is he just going to some, is he, is he going to become peak Steven Samkos and everyone around him turn into like Patrick Line's 19 year old season then? Like, where is this coming from? Yeah, exactly. So I want to bring that up. I thought it was wild, but yeah, they have just like, this whole team is just guys who are responsible defensively, but I don't know what they're going to do offensively. Um, like they are going to play a ton of like one nothing games. Yeah, absolutely. This team is going to be boring as all hell. Yes, it's a good thing they have good looking jerseys. At least in my <laughs> opinion, I thought they looked real nice on the ice the other night. But yeah, like I, I don't think this team. This team is. And I mean, like I don't know. I, I think I would be a little surprised if I'm wrong. But you know, like Vegas in their first year, they didn't have a ton of name brand talent. Obviously, they end up being unreal. Um, but they were also fun to watch because they were just so fast that they would just like outskate you up and down the ice. Like this team has a couple guys who can skate, but it's not like this just jumps out as a speedy roster to you. That's going to like play just back and forth hockey or anything like that. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. Or like, cause look at Yanni Gord, like Yanni Gord's really good. Um, he would probably be the odds on favorite to lead this team in war among skaters, but like, he was he was an integral piece of that Tampa Bay checking line. Like nobody was pumped to watch Tampa Bay Lightning games because of that line. Mm-hmm. They were yeah. they were good, like very effective. Did their job amazingly, but that line was not what was fun about the Tampa Bay Lightning. Exactly, and I think one of the, the strong points they have, at least compared to other teams in this, you know, money middle, as you put it. And again, this kind of speaks to how bad the other teams are, but is their blue line. Um, like Mark Giordano has been the Flames' best defenseman for five, six years now. Like, and they lost him. And, and granted, he's 37, so it's like, how much can it continue? But we haven't, like, he's declined a little bit over, like, the, he had a Norris level season was two or three years ago. But, you know, he, he obviously wasn't quite that level lately, but like, he's still been a number one defenseman. And then, you know, I think Jamie Oleksiak, Adam Larson, I think those contracts were a little weird for this team, but they are like good players. And same with Vince Dunn, like that's a much better top four than any of the Canucks, Kings, or Flames are probably going to post. Oh, absolutely. Like, unless you're willing to just explain away Quinn Hughes' horrible results last year, or you're going to grade on an age curve really aggressively for Giordano, which would be respectable because he's 37. Giordano's the best defenseman on any team we've talked about so far by a mile. Yeah, yes, definitely. Like, even a couple of years ago when Hughes had his great, like, rookie season, like, Giordano, I'd have to go check, but I'm pretty sure Giordano probably had just as much war as him. Probably. Probably more, to be honest, because Giordano's been killing it for a very long time. Yeah, so, like... And yeah, like again, he is at the age where you know you can't expect him to keep doing this every year, but he also hasn't not done it yet. So like, 
Okay, yeah. Quinn Hughes had 11.1 goals above replacement. Uh, Giordano had seven that year, but still. Then there's also, like, Vince Dunn has, like, legitimate – it's it's hard not to make the Vegas comparisons. Like, the closest comparable I think they have in terms of somebody who could realistically break out, not just some random fourth-liner becomes a 40-goal scorer like William Carlson, is Vince Dunn having that Shea Theodore level coming out party because Vince Dunn's been such a ridiculously good play driver for a very long time and just has never gotten a fair shake in St. Louis, it's looked like. Yeah, or even if maybe not um, Shea Theodore level, but like Nate Schmidt level. Yeah, that's actually probably a more realistic one because, of course, Theodore is like a top 10 defenseman in the league. Yeah, whereas Nate Schmidt went to – it's kind of weird to think that Nate Schmidt's now been on three separate teams in three different years, and he was on the Capitals before that for four seasons. But, yeah, like Schmidt went to – obviously he was one of the classic where like watching him keep everyone, and he everyone kind of looked knew that he looked poised to break out and – he just did exactly that, where he was just pretty solid in Vegas for three years. And then last year, he had a down year in Vancouver, and he still wasn't horrible or anything. And then he got flipped to Winnipeg. So, um, yeah, the guy, I definitely could see Vince Dunn being that, like, just a solid, like, number two or whatever, even. And if you have Giordano as your one, it's like, well, now you're better than most of the, even the next team we're going to get to's defense score, probably. Like, and then obviously, Alexiak Larson, like, that's a fine three, four to have. Hayden Flurry and Jeremy Lawson, like, Carson Soucy, like that's a fine bottom three, you know? Yeah. In terms of like, if you graph ex- like how exciting they are to watch against effectiveness, I can, I think they're going to do this. Alexia Heck Larson is going to be the most, the least exciting pairing relative to how effective they are in the entire league. I think. Yes. I could see them just being like a very, very <laughs> solid second pair, but it's like, God, I hate watching these players on the ice as like at least as a neutral observer obviously if they're helping your team you're never going to complain as a fan but but they could have like new york islanders level expected goals against numbers and whatnot Mm -hmm. yes absolutely um and then this is where i'm going to be curious in net is you know with grubauer and friedger i I think it's two guys that there's we've seen have success and there's good reason to be you know happy about or you know high on them at least relatively speaking again because there's some ugly goaltending tandems in this division um, but I am here to see because I, I definitely buy into the fact that I don't think Grubauer is actually a top three top five goalie in the league I, I think he's maybe closer to 10 ish and that ab system really really helped him out and Dreger it's just we haven't you know we got to see a little bit more last year but we still don't really have a big sample on what he is so yeah, they have a really interesting goalie core, but they also they have a lot of this is their their relative strength, in my opinion. Even though the decor is actually quite good, uh, I think this is their their relative strength because both these guys um, have reason to believe in them, and it's a pretty random position. But you can do a lot worse than guys that have just shown nothing but reason to believe in them. Absolutely. Um, before we get to the top two here, I guess I'll pose the question. Do you see a scenario where four teams from this division make the playoffs? Um, my first instinct is to say no, but I also think the Central is really bad. Yeah, I don't think the Central is all that good either. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. I wouldn't maybe bet on it, but like like okay so basically i think you know well obviously we have the knights one oilers two that's no surprise 
And then, you know, you have the Flames, I have the Canucks, but we have, I think we kind of agree where it's four teams that are below the top two and ahead of the bottom two in this division. Yeah. So it's, can two of those teams, so let's say you have the Flames, I think they're all the exact same, but can a fourth team beat out I mean, we have the we had the Avalanche in comfortably last week. I had I thought the Jets would be pretty good, and then it's like the Wild, Blues, Stars, and the Hawks. So it, it's probably in that fifth spot. It's probably the Hawks and Stars. If we're saying like Blues, Jets, Wild, Abs is a top four. Yeah, something like that. Because like, like I can. I can see like the Kraken and Kings or like the Kraken and Flames being better than the Hawks. Like if Flurry is a 37 year old goalie or whatever, like. Yeah. Like imagine a world in which Flurry turns 37. So he struggles. Connor Hellebuck has an off year, which happens all the time to good goalies. And then Grubauer, Drieger and Markstrom play well, or Demko instead of Markstrom or whoever done easy. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think it's a – it's definitely not a lock that only three teams are going to make it from this division. But I do think that just shows how weak the West is compared to anything else. Yeah, the West is – they have two good teams. And that's literally it. Minnesota's fine. St. Louis is fine. Winnipeg's fine. But the West as a whole is just brutal. Yeah. Um, all right, on to the top two, uh, Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> Uh, we've talked about this team a lot because obviously they've made some interesting signings, so we can probably keep it short. Uh, obviously, they're they're basically two because they have two elite level players that are That's just so team. much, but yeah, like literally that are just so much better than anything else any of these other teams can post. Um, I will say, like their offseason was disastrous. I think almost from a long term standpoint, but at least up front, like adding Zach Hyman, I think should significantly improve this team but i we've talked about this too my biggest issue with it is they're gonna staple him to mcdavid and dry i would almost rather them use hyman to control their own third line oh they absolutely should because like there are diminishing returns to adding good players to a line like mcdavid scored at 150 point pace without hyman like adding zach hyman even though he could is probably a first liner in his own right and going to be replacing I forget who but it's the Oilers so I imagine he sucked like that just can't make McDavid's line much better because it was already so ridiculously good yeah like put like Pooley RV really helped well not help but Pooley RV and McDavid worked really well together keep those two put whoever the hell you want on the left wing like yep. put Warren Fogle there who I think it was a fine addition as well. You know, maybe I like what I have traded from, you know, who they – was it Caleb Jones? They No, uh, Ethan Bear. Um, that the trade. I might have not done that, but, like, I think in terms of actually helping the forward core, he's better than the shit players they had last year. Put, like, Warren Fogle up there with McDavid and Pugliarvi, and McDavid will still be on that 100-and-whatever-point pace. Then you can go Dreisaitl, R&H, and um, – uh, Yamamoto, and then have Derek Ryan, which I thought that was a really solid signing too. His underlying numbers are unreal, but Derek Ryan, and then that's where you can put Zach Hyman to really drive that line and play him with a guy like Ryan who has good underlying numbers. And then 
again, put whoever you want on the other, other wing. Like I, I would wish they almost had a younger guy, but I'm not really seeing anyone that would fit. Um, but like, just put a name there and hope that like Hyman can drive his own third line. Which I think he can. And then the flip side to this also, because it's easy to harp on the McDavid and diminishing returns part. People keep saying that Hyman's going to be like, a, he's going to have this huge breakout here next to McDavid. He played with Marner and Matthews last year. Like his quality of teammate, like is the gap between Marner and Pugliarvi bigger than the gap between McDavid and Matthews? Uh, prop. Like I think it's at least close. So like Hyman's getting basically the same quality of teammate. It's not like he's going from some horrible context to some great one. No, yeah, like it's um, – I'm just trying to pull up all their war numbers right here from last year to try and actually – obviously this isn't a definitive ranking, but um, McDavid had 27.2 goals of placement. Just silly. Uh, Matthews had 16.1, Marner had 14.2, and Pugliari had 11.4. So I guess technically, yes, the difference is bigger, but again, it is by you – know, Matthews and Marner combined had 20, 30 – just over 30, 30.3 goals above replacement. And uh, Connor McDavid and Pugliarvi had 39, it looks like, or thir- just under 39, 38 and a half. And 27.2 of that comes from McDavid. So it's not like it is that aggressive of a gap. Like it's a, what, six goal gap where it's like, and it's again, like, I, I think. Human again from. Yes. And I think Pugliarvi's goals above replacement was probably affected by the fact that he was stapled to McDavid's line all of last year. Yeah, I mean, McDavid definitely deserves more than his uh, 27.2 out of that or whatever it was, I'm sure. Yes. So, um, yeah, like, I, I don't think the, the difference is going to be that big. So, it's, yeah, it's like – and Hyman is a very solid player. Like, I'm sure he will help this team. But, yeah, I, I would rather – I mean, who knows? Like, obviously, we haven't seen any games yet. But I would almost rather see them try and spread it out. But they just – they seem so against doing that, and they love to just load up the top six. It's uh, the Leafs roster management got a lot of criticism. I think the best criticism was why didn't they go Hyman to drive his own third line? Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think the Oilers are going to make the same mistake. Yeah, I, I, uh, I just, yeah, I, I really like. It. I, I don't know. like, And then this is like by far the highlight of this team is the problem, which like is why I'm so scared because their defense core is just so ass. Yeah. Like, I, think, so I said the Canucks, these guys might have the worst deeper in the league. I actually think this is comfortably worse than the Canucks now that we're looking at it. If Quinn Hughes is like even close to what rookie Keith Quinn Hughes was, absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. – yeah, like they don't have anyone like that. Like I like Darnell Nurse, but he's a number two defenseman. Maybe if they, he's been a three slash four until last year. Yeah, because if if Nurse is a Hughes bounces back and Nurse regresses back to what we've seen, or at least a small bit, even, even if he is just a two, line, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like because if Hughes bounces back, given how bad he was, and Nurse regresses to a two, which I think is. Actually, a really reasonable forecast for him, given what we've seen thus far. Those two are a wash, and suddenly you get into Duncan Keith versus OEL and stuff. It's like OEL's bad, but he's not thirty-eight-year-old Duncan Keith bad. Yeah, I, I would say the only like hope for this defense war is Evan Bouchard. 
Yes. Especially because he has Tyson Berry and Cody Cece to leapfrog on the right side. So, like, yeah. like you, there's a non-zero chance that he's playing, like, power play one minutes. Or not, I'm sorry, maybe not power play. That's well probably almost be, always be Tyson Berry. Um, yeah. But, like, um, five on five, second pair, and maybe even, like, first pair by the end of the year. I think they'll probably go Berry Nurse like they did last year because they love that. But, like, Bouchard could absolutely be playing, like, 20 – plus minutes a night if he is even just semi-competent yeah and if but he's got he's got a leapfrog cc still that's a big yes Yes, it is um (laughs) yeah and like and then you look at that like mike smith was good last year but he's 39 years old and mike smith has had a habit of having one great year one not good year one good year one not good year you know yeah yeah exactly and he's 39 like it could be it might not be one good year one great year anymore from here on out he could just be cheeks because he's turning 40 yeah like it's his ah, birthday's in march too so he will end this season as a 40 year old yes i i think on paper you have to have this team too just because of mcdavid and dry compared to the division but like like this the absolute defense slash goalie falling out from this team and then missing the playoffs i wouldn't even be surprised even in this like shit-ass division. Yeah, like if... Obviously, what McDavid did last year was so hilariously stupid, but like if McDavid scores 110 points, which probably isn't that far below a reasonable forecast, and Dreisaitl misses like 15 games, this team could easily miss the playoffs without us even having to get into the classic PDO caveat, which they seem really susceptible to because of that 39 year old goalie. Yeah. And like, like I know we do this, like we probably uh, oh, beat this horse a little bit to death, but like this team might be like sixth in the Atlantic. If you put them there. Yep. Like I know they <laughs> technically finished ahead of Montreal points last year, but they also might be seventh in the Metro. Yeah. Like it's just like, I don't know. Like, obviously, McDavid and Drysado means that like you can probably only fall so far. But this, this roster, if there's a roster to test it, especially a blue line and a goaltending duo, it could be this one. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Because goalies are weird. So like you can obviously say that about any team. But Mike Smith's a cert, a 39 year old who's one season removed from having a 900 save percentage over a two season sample. Like Mike Smith is one of the most realistic goalies to be the worst starter in the league this year. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yes, goaltending's voodoo, but it's like also we can feel more confident about like a Jacob Markstrom bouncing back, like a Thatcher Demko just being solid, right? Like there is yeah, like yeah, a like, Dreger Grubauer, one of them being good. Yeah, there's where it's like confident in any of these guys being good. No, and like Nico Koskin's best year, he was just like a fine okay tandem guy like you know like so mike smith struggles it's not like you have a guy who's ready to just come up and take the load of the minutes exactly and we've seen this team miss the playoffs with like elite level dry sidle mcdavid that is not out of the question yeah and by like a lot too right so yeah we've seen them look completely hopeless and their decor is much worse than it was that season yes so um all right number one team this team is just going to steamroll this division. Yeah, they are not as good as Colorado. 
I don't even think they're close. Like, I don't even think they belong in the same tier as a compliment to Colorado, not a shot at Vegas, because I think Colorado's that good. They might be more likely to win their division than Colorado. I think they might be more likely to win the President's Trophy than Colorado. Because their division is just... Yeah. Maybe not quite as much this year, because you do play the other divisions, obviously. But, like, if this was the division last year, like where they only where you only played your own division. This team, if playing in 82 games, like they might be like a hundred and forty point team. Like yeah. Given how much shit the Leafs uh took all throughout last year, being like, lol, well, the North is trash, so literally nothing they do matters, and we can't pretend that anything they do is good. Vegas better get that treatment this year. Yeah, I <laughs> Vegas is gonna be an interesting one. And, and I mean, again, like they're definitely um, they have to play the teams in the central and obviously they're going to play every Eastern team twice as well. So, you know, it's yeah. not like they're only playing these guys, but yeah, they have uh, four games. I believe it is actually, I, Hmm. I wonder how they're doing that this year. Let me, cause they added an extra team. So that's going to screw up the schedule because what it was before was four games against everyone in your division. So that's seven other teams. So there's 28. You play twice against everyone in the other conference. So that would be 16. Um, 16 teams in the other conference, right? Yeah. 32 games. So there you're at 60 games. So then you had 22 left against the seven or eight that were in the other conference. So that's, uh, I'm doing the math right here, 2.7. So some of them you'll play three and some of them you'll play two, I guess. But yeah, like th- this team, I, I'm so interested to see just how the regular season because like nothing they do in the regular season is going to matter no they're going to massacre this division i'm almost excited to see it as much as little as i care about anything that's happening in this division minus seattle Uh, that's obviously going to be interesting just because they're an expansion team but it's going to be cool to see how big of a gap vegas can put up on this division yes i i guess the 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 one thing we can like try and project for is like Come playoff time, because that's all that matters for this team. Do you think they have the depth to, to go all the way? Obviously, we you know, you said they're a tier below Colorado. I think they're still within range of being able to beat Colorado, but like it kind of feels like they might need an, uh, a deadline addition to really solidify themselves, too. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I think a better way of phrasing that is Colorado is a tier above everyone else. I think I should yeah. have said it that way, but uh. Yeah, I mean, Colorado did get weaker, but given the age of some of their stars, it's easy to see just like, oh, Makar takes another step at driving play or whatever, and now you forget that Brandon Saad's gone. Vegas doesn't really have um, people up and coming. They did obviously beat Colorado last year, but it seems like a deadline acquisition would really solidify them. Like, I think they're one really good deadline trade away from being the second-best roster in the league. Yeah, as long it depends as what like the lightning do too. Obviously, I, I think that the biggest question for me for this team will be: Can guys like Zach Whitecloud and, and more importantly Nicholas Hag um, really be a, yeah like take up another step where it's like you don't have to trust that Alec Martinez is going to have another career year playing along Alex Petrangelo, who is now thirty four and thirty one. Yeah, that's very fair. I think Meg should be tripping over themselves to try to acquire Thomas Hurdle. Yeah, that would be a good yes. Cause like they, again, like Chandler Stevenson is 
fine when you put him with a couple elite wingers or whatever. But yeah, like having a legitimate another like a one C there. Yeah, like Hurdle Hurdle Carlson the numbers on his own. Yeah, like that would be. Yeah, and then and then suddenly Chandler Stevenson's a third C, your third C, and you really like that, right? Like yeah, and like then you actually have like a one two Carlson being your two. You're still happy with Stan Stevenson being three. Suddenly you're looking really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, Alex Tuck's on the IR right now. I think he'll be back eventually, though, um, and that'll be a decent help as well to this depth. Um, the one thing it'll be interesting to see is how much do they play Robin Leonard during the regular season. I think this should be a case where if they are like 15 points ahead of everyone else coming down the stretch, they should, doesn't even matter if it loses them some games, they should play Laurent Brossois. Yeah, because they should have a ridiculously high probability of winning their division. I'm sure it'll be like 99% three months out. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, it's not aggressive and, to start playing Brossois. And, and Annette, like, I think people are down on Vegas maybe a little more compared to this year just because they lost Flurry for nothing. But, like, like, I, like, if Leonard's a better goalie than Flurry this year, I wouldn't even blink an eye. I would almost, like – I would bet on Leonard over Flurry. Yeah, yeah like, if, if there was odds, especially if, if Leonard was getting plus odds, I would, like, hammer that. Without even, like, blinking. Even, like, adjusted for the defense in front of them. Because obviously, Leonard having a higher save percentage should almost be a foregone conclusion, mm-hmm. given the team in front of both of them. But like, even if there was some theoretical way to perfectly adjust, you still think Leonard's a better bet. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, this team is just going to, I think, absolutely massacre this division. So, um, yep. what do you think of Dadnoff? I forgot they signed Dadnoff. That looks I, so weird. Yeah, I, I think he is primed for a bounce back season two. Uh, he is not. Why it's so tough to say though, too, because like he's not, obviously not what he was in Florida, but like this team is way more set than Ottawa would was to give him elite line mates to maybe look him like more like he was in Florida. Yeah, because if he can look as he did in Florida, that's just another wrinkle to the already ridiculous amount of talent on the wings here. Yeah, or even like even if he's not that like he was at five on five, since fans got mad, I it's always funny, like the people who like stats don't tell the whole story, but then they literally just look at points basically to determine how they think yeah. the guy in the eye test. Like that's what yeah. happened so many times last year with sense fans, where it was like, if you watch Dad enough, there was times where he was busting his ass, like he was just getting unlucky. He was trashing the net, looking for rebounds. His his teammates just couldn't clean it up or anything. Like he was just it was bad luck at five on five, but he was still a good five on five play driver or whatever. And at for a third line player and the narrative was just always oh, lazy. He doesn't skate. It's like, if you're watching him, this is not what you should be seeing. You're just looking at his lack of goals and being like, this dude must suck. That is the best stats. Don't tell the whole story. Uh, you guys need to watch the game proceeds to give opinion that is clearly based entirely around points. Yeah. Like it's just so like, yeah, I, I think even if Dan is just a fine third line player at five on five, but can find some mojo on the power play because he was absolutely brutal. He looked lost on the sense power play last year, uh, which is not what you would have expected. So if he can add like another goal scoring touch on a power power play one on this team, maybe even power play two, like that'll be huge for this uh, for, for Vegas. Yeah, that would be a nice, nice addition because they're pretty deep up front as is, but just adding another prong probably what they're going to need to keep up with that arms race with uh what's it, what's their name colorado i think so yeah because like though i'm assuming they're going to run start the year patch um 
Stevenson Stone, and then Marcia So, Carlson Smith, and then Dadanov, Tuck, Yanmark, something like that. Yeah, I could see that. And then like some combination of like Nicholas Waugh, Brad Howden, Nolan Patrick, and William Carrier. Like those are probably your bottom four. Yeah. Rotating in the net. You have to assume they're going to play Patrick. They must believe in yeah. him at least a little bit if they acquire him. If you're this team at the deadline, say Martinez is just kind of who we think he is. You think adding a top four defenseman or like a second line forward, second line center that you obviously use as a one C? What do you think adds more to this team? I think probably the center, just because I think Petrangelo and Theodore can. Well, actually, you know. It depends what Hag is, I think. Yes. Because if, if if Hag is someone that Theodore doesn't have to absolutely just like drag along where he is his own guy, where it's like Martinez is your fourth best player or whatever, I think you go with the centerman. But like if it is literally just Theodore and Petrangelo just dragging around corpses of people, I would say getting even like a number three defenseman would go – like a Mike Riley from last year would go yeah, along with Hag's numbers are surprisingly good in the NHL given – I don't think he. I don't think he looked amazing in the playoffs. I don't have like vivid memories of the Vegas Golden Knights number four defenseman, but I don't remember thinking like, "Wow, Hag looks good." Yeah, I know. I do know when he came up, there was a lot of hype around him, and I think it was like really justified, right? Or like, um, uh, not justified, uh, like proven right away. But like, even if you can't make a definitive assumption out of it, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, because I think he torched the O. Yeah, he's been like good wherever he's played. From and then he started hot, if I remember correctly, when he hit the NHL. Yeah, and like even in the AHL, he had thirty-two points in seventy-five games as a defenseman. Like not Just bad. Nuts. Yeah. Yeah, and eleven points in twenty-two playoff games. Wow. Yeah, so maybe Tuck breaks out, and then everything we say about their decor doesn't matter, and they're deep and they're set. Yeah. Exactly. So. Um, yeah, this is going to be an hey, unreal yeah. team. Yep. Yeah, they're going to be top, but... Yeah. Um, no, I don't have anything other than that. Do you? No, it's almost boring how good they are in this division relative to everyone, anyone else. They have like minus odds on DraftKings to win their division. It's more likely <laughs> than not that they win this. That is absolutely crazy. But I mean, like, the not shocked. Like, that's very fair, right? Like, Oh, yeah, they absolutely deserve it. Yeah. Um, hey, well, we will thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you all for the support. I hope you all enjoy uh, the previews. I know we enjoy doing them. Uh, two weeks till the season goes or so. Uh, I think next week will probably be our last official episode before the season starts, so we might look to get a guest on and do kind of uh, what we're looking forward to, this season preview kind of thing. Um, so if there's anyone you want to hear, give us a shout, and we'll – try and make it happen or, or at least debate it uh, or look into it. But um, you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com. I wrote another piece this week. I wrote it with a Logan Brown for Zach Sanford trade that the uh, senators made and why it is uh, making the best out of a bad situation for Ottawa. Um, you can also find my other podcast, uh, the last word on Sense podcast, wherever you listen to this one, um, you can find my other stuff at mile high hockey. I will be getting into more stuff as the season starts for them. Um, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you all next week.